So as Chris said, here comes the amazing finale message on our Joseph series. We have been in this series now, uh, well this is the 15th message in our in our Joseph series. It's a long narrative in Genesis, we spent a long time looking at it. We started it back in January and decided that God was continuing to speak to us as we came into online church, we wanted to continue the series. So we're going to be working out of Genesis chapter 50 today, uh, so do turn there if you've got a Bible, although the words will appear on the screen. Um, and today's message I am calling it's all good. It's all good. And we're going to see one final flourish from God's providential hand this morning. We're going to see him, him moving and showing once again just his, his thorough commitment to his people of taking things that are evil and somehow in his majesty and in his power turning that evil into good for his people. And we will, as we reflect on, on the Joseph story, we will see that just whichever way you slice it up, whichever way you look at it, whichever angle you've got on it, it is really good news for his people. Um, so we're going to get straight into it. Genesis chapter 50 from verse 15. As I say, you can read along um, on the screen with me. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 is one of the most well-known and encouraging verses in the whole of Genesis. You have definitely seen this verse appear on your Instagram feed in calligraphic font set against the background of moody, misty mountains. And for good reason. Let's just have a look at it again. As for you, Joseph says to his brothers, he says, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. This, as we have seen throughout the series, this is really the heartbeat of the Joseph story. If there is just one single lesson that the author and that God wants us to get from the whole series is that such is the sovereignty and power of God, such is his strength, that he is able to take all things, even evil itself, to accomplish his purposes. He is able to, to, to get hold of evil and just any move that evil tries to make, whether it goes this way, whether it goes that way, whether it tries, tries to do this, up, down, whatever evil does, God will just get hold of it and he will bend evil 
and work it towards his good and perfect purposes and advance what he wants to do in creation. Just this one verse, we learn so much about God. It is a theological powerhouse of a verse. Not only do we learn of the strength and the might and the power of God and just how other he is and how he stands above all other powers and principalities. There's nothing that can even compare to his, his might. But we also learn in that very same verse of his character. That he would want to work things for good. That he is a good God. His power is not used for anything other than good things. But not only that he is good, but that he would then want to work good for his people. That he would get right into creation. He'd move around all of the details. He'd, he'd make careful, precise moves so that his people are looked after and that they would know good. It's an absolute masterpiece of a verse. But unlike a masterpiece that you might see in a museum, um, or if you've got, um, if you're a parent of toddlers on, on your fridge, it's not just something to be admired. It's not just something to be looked at, not just a, a, a verse of lofty ideas that is to be seen from a distance and, 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 and admired in all of its beauty, to just increase our knowledge and understanding of God. Of course it is for that. But actually, like all good theology, this is intensely personal. This is actually a pastoral verse. It's a verse of comfort. That when we see it in its context, we see that this is used by Joseph to comfort his brothers. And when the bro brothers come before Joseph in this passage, they are bound up and consumed by guilt. Just look at verse 17 again. They say to, say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. Just look at how loaded with guilt that verse is. Three different words for their, their sin and what they have done wrong. Transgression, sin, evil, as I've highlighted there. Begging, please, Joseph, would you forgive us for what we have done to you? But the thing is, these brothers have already been forgiven. You might remember it from our series so far. Back in chapter 45, the brothers and Joseph were reunited and Joseph said to them, look, do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourself for what you have done to me. Because God has been at work. He released them from the burden of their guilt. He took the guilt off their shoulders. And here we see quite clearly that although these brothers have heard this message of forgiveness. They clearly haven't quite received it. They don't yet fully believe it. I wonder if you can relate to that at all. I don't know if there has been one single day in the 24 years that I have been a follower of Jesus that I haven't had some kind of internal conflict and some, to some measure, been in exactly the place that the brothers find themselves in here. That I've heard, I know, I know that Jesus has forgiven me for all of my sins. I know that I have been washed clean by his blood. He has, he has cleansed me from my guilt. And yet, 
there's always that nagging thought. There's uh, there's always that kind of thought of, but what about, am, am I really forgiven for that thing that I have done? What about that thing that is way back in my past? That one thing perhaps that you've never told anybody about. You think if this were to get out, I'm sure everybody would disown me. Uh, what does God really think about that? Am I really forgiven from that? Or perhaps that sin you just can't get yourself out of. And you're, you, you do it time and time again and you think God surely is, is just sick of forgiving me of this sin. He knows that I should know better. And he just thinks that he's just going to run out of patience in forgiving me in this area. Well, it seems like here the brothers have completely lost all confidence that their forgiveness still stands. Listen to what they say in verse 15. They say, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did for him, did to him. They are convinced that because they have sinned, that they will at some point have to pay a heavy price for that sin. And they find themselves in this severe place of agitation of their soul and conflicted within their spirit as they come before Joseph. And listen what Joseph then says to them as the very first words as they come before him like this. In verse 19, he says, do not fear. Just imagine, I mean, for some of us who've got brothers and sisters, they're thinking, what on earth are you doing, Joseph? Don't don't say that. Like, you have got such leverage here against your brother. Like, think how you can use this to your advantage. But of course, Joseph doesn't say that. He's far more holy than you and me. And then he leads into verse 20, saying, Do not fear. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And then in verse 21 again he says, so do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. And then it closes by saying, thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Just listen to Joseph's heart for his brothers here. That as they, even though they have heard and should have received forgiveness. They, they haven't, they're not quite living it. They haven't quite got it into their hearts yet. And Joseph's heart for them is that I just want to bring comfort. I want to bring reassurance. I want you to know you really, really are forgiven. You have been released from this debt. Listen to how personal he makes it in verse 20. He says to them, as for you, you meant evil against me. Just that doubling of the word you. He makes it so personal. As for you. You meant evil. He's saying, look, you really did do evil. Like, we're not just going to sweep that under the rug for the sake of just playing happy families together. You have done evil against me. What you deserve for this is you deserve to be condemned. You deserve to, to to face some punishment for what it is that you have done. But what he then goes on to say is you have done evil. But God meant it for good. God has made it good. And in pointing there to God, in leading them to God, he is leading them to the one that has orchestrated, the one that has allowed them to see this goodness 
come to pass. The one who has enabled them to be released from their burden. The one who has shown them a way into forgiveness. As we've gone through this Joseph narrative, we have seen, and I'm sure you have seen as we've gone through it, that it is a very, very human story. That you read it and you can think, I thought this was meant to be the Bible. But God seems to be missing on an awful lot of the pages. Like I'm reading a lot about Joseph, Jacob, the brothers, Pharaoh, famine. But where's God? But as we've seen, as you get close to this story, as you get under the skin of it, God's fingerprints are all over it. That he is the prime mover, the central character in this whole story. And once again, here we have Joseph emphatically stating that God might seem hidden in this narrative. He might seem like he's not really showing up. But not only is he at work, not only is he present in the moment, but he is at work bringing about good for his people, even through evil circumstances. We've seen this in Joseph's story himself. We we saw him thrown into a pit right at the beginning of the story. We saw him bound up in a prison, just thinking, is this is a kind of prison where people get forgotten about, where people are left to just perish. Like, surely this is not going to be good for Joseph. Surely no good can come of this. But we've seen how in Joseph's story, God used that for, for shaping him, for forming him, for raising him up, giving him unmerited favour and giving him a a job and a land to live in and then reuniting him with his father, reuniting him with his brothers and bringing about good for Joseph. We've seen it in Jacob's life. We we saw how this, this old man, once zealous for God, who's gone, whose spirit has died down a bit, we've seen in the midst of a of a global famine where he's wasting away, surely about to perish. But even in that, God was working and God brings, uses all of those situations to revive his soul, to wake up this old man of God, to bring him back, that he would see his his family reunited. He'd see Joseph again and that he would finish his life well. God made it happen. And now as Genesis comes to close, it's almost like God is saying, look, I know I'm running out of verses, but have we got space just for one final act of grace, one final flourish of my hand to show my goodness and my kindness to my people? And here we see that God bringing the good out of the evil that Joseph is speaking about here. Is it's not just good for Joseph. It's not just good for Jacob. It's not even just good for the the tens of thousands of people whose lives have been spared because of God moving this family around. Now here we see that it is even for the brothers. The least deserving people in this whole narrative. The brothers here, they they are not the victims of evil. They are not the ones that have faced evil. They're the perpetrators of the evil. They actively worked to try and derail the plans of God. They have actively worked to try and harm God's chosen instrument in Joseph. That we might think at the very least that these brothers deserve is a little bit of inner angst and inner turmoil and a kind of lack of clarity and perhaps even a sort of second class citizenship thing to Joseph in this whole story 
Make them sweat God, we might think. But here we see once again displayed the mercy and the kindness of God. He's like, no, no I, I need these brothers to know just how forgiven they are. How they really are free from this guilt that they've lived with all of their life. That they have been set free from the condemnation that they feel. That they are now able to walk out of this cloud of guilt that they have been living under their whole lives. And they can know freedom from it and know that they no longer have to fear judgment whatsoever. That this moment right here, this climactic moment of Joseph having a conversation, we might just view it as a, oh, this is a kind of summary moment where Joseph's sort of giving us a, a reflection on the whole story. No, this climactic moment for the brothers is as much a part and a purpose of God's narrative here as anything else that we have seen so far. That he, he moved Joseph to Egypt. He, he's done all that we have seen in the story. He's moved about. He's with a famine. He's moved them to Egypt. He's brought about this reuniting of the family for this moment. That Joseph might speak kindly to them. Might speak kindly to his brothers that they would receive this message of complete and unconditional acceptance and forgiveness over their life. And be able to receive it and believe it. That here we see I think something of the heart of God's sovereign purpose in, in working in humanity and working in creation. That broken people can come to know and, and know that they are totally and completely forgiven. No condemnation, not living under a cloud of guilt, completely forgiven. At the centrepiece of God's work in humanity, his activity in humanity, in coming to earth as Jesus Christ, God made flesh. He came and he did signs and wonders amongst people and he said, why am I doing these signs and wonders? I've come that you may know, you may know that I have authority to forgive sins. That's what Jesus said of himself. And he died so public a death. Not just so that we might be forgiven, but so that we might be forgiven and that we might know that we have been forgiven. That when we have these moments of, of doubt, when we think of the, our past or we think of the things that we've just done today or this week and, and we feel so trapped by them and we feel like, uh, surely I must be guilty before God or, or have I really been forgiven? When those thoughts come against us, we can look to the cross of Jesus Christ. We can look to the very place, the very moment in history where sins were completely forgiven. We can gaze upon the blood that was poured out by Jesus. The very blood that covers us completely. The very blood that removes all stain and washes us white as snow before God forgiven. As it says in Hebrews 10, Jesus Christ offered for all time, for all time, a single sacrifice for sins. That this is God's work, that he would take the evil of humanity, those that have committed the evil, and at the cross he turns it around so that those very people might have it made good for themselves.
I think in this moment, as we as we come into land in our Joseph series, we just get adding it all together and everything else that we've seen, just this complete and stunning picture of how vast and how all-encompassing God's master plan of taking evil and weaving it into good for his people really is. And quite frankly, just how scandalous this master plan of God is. Because when we read the story and when we read verses like what Joseph says here of, of you, God, you meant it for evil, but God intended it for good. I don't know about you, but my instinct is to interpret that as when evil comes against us, when we have faced evil, when evil things happen to us, when we are the victims, that somehow God is able to take all the evil that we have faced and turn it into good, which of course is, is true, of course of, is what we've seen. But what we see here with the brothers is that even those that have done the evil, even those that have committed the worst, even they are on the receiving end when God finally turns evil into good. These brothers, if you like, at the beginning, they sowed evil and yet here they are reaping a blessing. And this, of course, doesn't in any way condone evil. It doesn't, uh, it, it, it doesn't open the door for us to think, well, we can just do as much evil as we like and God will turn it into good for us. But this is just another beautiful picture of God's grace and his kindness on his people. There's the symmetry we have here in the story that way back in verse 30, chapter 37, where we started it all by doing these evil acts. They started it off and yet here, right at the end, they end up tasting the fullness of the goodness of God. And I don't know about you, but when I look at the Joseph narrative, I find it much easier to cast myself in Joseph's shoes. That I find it much, much easier to think of myself as a victim of evil rather than a perpetrator. I, I find it much easier to put myself in the place of the oppressed rather than the oppressor. I can spend a great afternoon in my garden, maybe not today, I don't know what the weather's like, nice cold drink, just reflecting and thinking on the many ways that I think the world has done evil to me, how I am a victim, that I have fallen on unfortunate times and the world hasn't, isn't so good to me. I would spend much, much less time thinking about all the ways that I have done wrong, how I have been one that has, has worked wrong against other people. But of course, all of us are, we're a little bit of both. That we are people who, like Joseph, we, we have received, been on the receiving end of evil. We've had things done to us that, that shouldn't happen. We've had, uh, we've had attacks coming in from the enemy that think evil has been at my door. But each of us, I think, would probably, if pressed, admit, yeah, no, we, but we have done wrong as well. I have done things that have been wrong to other people, I've done things that have gone against God's will. What I love about what we see here is that just whichever way you want to look at it, whichever way you cut it up, as I said at the beginning, whichever angle you come from, the story of Joseph is just stunning good news for us. That if we approach it from the, from the position of the brothers, if we find ourselves in the shoes of the brothers, 
ones who have done evil, then we just find this unconditional offer of forgiveness and grace over us. That we can not only be forgiven, but we can truly know and get hold of, we have been completely forgiven. And if we come at it from Joseph's perspective, as we find ourselves in Joseph's shoes, we can see and, and hear the encouragement of heaven and the comfort of God. That even in the pain, even in the struggle, even in the ways that it is so, things are, are difficult, he is actually using it for his good plans and his purposes for us. I don't think it actually makes the pain of the evil any easier. And it, it doesn't make the suffering any less for us. And it certainly doesn't bring a full picture of, of why does evil happen? Why is there this presence of evil? I don't think that's for us to know in this age. It still stings. But we're able to see from this narrative that even when evil does come against us, God is able to get hold of it and use it. Use it for our formation, use it for our growth. That as we encounter the trials and the attacks and the, the bitter arrows, he is using them to raise us up in his kingdom and use us for his glory and, and, and our good. At many times in the Joseph narrative, it does look like evil is going to win the day. When Joseph was in that pit right at the beginning, you would think surely this is going to be the end for him. He's going to be carted off to some foreign land, sold into slavery. Probably in a couple of years, this guy's going to be dead. When he was in the prison, the type of prison that many people don't get out of, you think surely he will just be a corpse before too long. When the great famine struck, and this family just looked like they were going to perish. They were on the last of their reserves. They were spacing their food out so that they might survive. Evil coming against God's people, looking like it has got the victory. Creating spaces and moments and times where it just looks like there is no hope whatsoever. But in the Joseph story, we are introduced to this pattern that we, we see throughout Scripture and continues today. That yes, there will be times where sin, evil, death, it appears to have won. Where it is reigning for a short time. But that time will only be short. The lesson, the promise that we find contained in this story is that after that time is done, after evil's reign, has been allowed to take place, God will get hold of it. God will get hold of evil and he will show his total mastery and dominance over it. And he will grab hold of it and he will bend it towards his unblemished, pure and brilliant good purposes and will for his story and for our lives. 
This is a, a pattern that God's people are about to encounter once again in the very next book of scripture, in the, the book of Exodus, where they find themselves oppressed and contained and ruled over by evil once again. Slaves in Egypt, Pharaoh, a different Pharaoh, has got his hand over them and they cannot move. It looks like evil has won the day, but then God's good purposes will come shining out and bursting forth in the deliverance through the exodus. It happens again a few hundred years later as they're carted off into Babylon in exile. It looks like the end for God's people. Surely once again evil has, has, has roared and this time it must be the end. But then God works in extraordinary ways to set them free that they might come back and rebuild and once again be his people. And of course, this pattern is one that we are most familiar with from the cross of Jesus Christ. That moment, that day, where it really looked like evil had won. The most evil act, the most evil moment that creation has ever known. Where Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, God himself, was slaughtered by the powers of evil. And yet there we see that evil was allowed its moment, it was allowed a triumph so that it would be finally and completely swallowed up, where the fullness of goodness would come and take over and destroy and consume evil once and for all time. And this is the age that we live in today. We live in an age where evil is prevalent. We only have to look at the, the news, look at the headlines. We only have to look at the fact that we're in lockdown and the reason that we're doing online church right now. Evil is reigning in all kinds of different ways. But then Joseph narrative, as we receive it, I think just helps to reinforce within us and build faith amongst us as a people that even though there is evil that we see, even though we encounter it every single day, this evil really is in captivity to God's sovereign purposes of bringing about good for his people. And as we look at this, this end, this is almost a model happy ending at the end of the Joseph story. Everything has kind of come together, all of the different threads have joined up, and evil, in many ways here, has been erased from the story. And as we look on this and we reflect on this end point, I think it takes us to a place of re remembering there will come a day where as much as we can gain encouragement and faith from this point where evil reigns and know that good is going to come from it, there is coming a day where evil will be finally defeated. Where the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross will have its final and complete moment. Where evil will one day be cast completely away and only goodness will remain. What a day that is going to be where only goodness remains and evil is gone forever. That is the day that we have to look forward to. And on that day, as well as an awful lot of celebrating together, we are going to be able to stand, just as Joseph stands here at the end of his days, we too will be able to stand 
and we will be able to, with all of this, with a fresh perspective and new eyes, heaven's perspective, to look back on all that we have experienced and encountered, all of the evil that we have come against. And we too, just like Joseph, we will be able to look back and say, all of that evil that we came against that, and that came against us, all of that evil, God really did intend it for good. We're going to spend our time now finishing off our, our series, finishing off this message by reflecting on the finished work of Jesus Christ, the final victory that we have to look forward to. That although this brings help for us in times of evil and help for our day to day, that help would really mean nothing if we didn't know that at some point this is coming to an end. Jesus Christ is going to wrap it all up as he returns for his people. That is a day that we have to look forward to. And so I've asked Rob to lead us in a song now just to celebrate the work that Christ has done, to celebrate that it is finished. <laughs>